Well, after the preaching of God's word, we'll sing from hymn 53, stanzas 1 to 4. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we look at the world, there are famous people, a celebrity, a pop star, or a superstar who ignores God's law, and they do not trust Christ as their Savior. Instead, they live how they want, and they feel at home in the fallen world. They don't need God's law, nor do they need the Lord. And that does raise a question, is that an attitude that is creeping within the church today? Are we sometimes tempted to just live for ourselves? Are we sometimes satisfied with the world? And do not long for Christ's return. Have we failed to trust that God can deliver us from this fallen world. Well, that's something that we want to consider as we look at Daniel in the lion's den. It's written so that it's written to tell us that our living God saves his faithful servants who trust in him. That's our theme. Two points for this morning's message. First of all, faith on trial. And then secondly, implications for today. Well, this is a story that's very familiar to us, and I'm sure our children here today know it quite well. Daniel, at this point in his life, was an old man. The book begins with him being a young man. He's likely in his 80s at this point. It served kings and kingdoms for many years. He was one of the three governors by, that, was, that was made by Darius the Mede, who was at this point king of Babylon. And there are a number of things, number of themes that we can note this morning from this passage. One being the insecurity of the monarchy. The reason that these governors had been appointed was a concern over deceit and graft. And that comes clear from verse 2 where it says that these governors were set over the kingdom so that the, the kingdom or the king would not suffer loss. We have to remember that at this time, the world kingdom was divided into various districts. 120 satraps or princes were placed over the entire territory of the Medes, Daniel and two others were appointed as administrators over these satraps. Daniel by this time was a very successful ruler. He had a long experience and wide acquaintance with the Babylonian government. He was exceptionally qualified. He was also different from the other Governors, as verse 3 says, because there was an excellent spirit in him. Darius could more easily trust Daniel in his judgment than he could trust his own. In the midst of the corruption and the insecurity, 
Daniel stood out as a man who governed with a sense of loyalty and integrity. This came about by his proper relationship with the God of heaven. Two, we see here a real contrast between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You may remember the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar as he saw that image that had a head of gold made of iron and silver, brass, had feet of clay and iron. And it was smashed to pieces by a, a huge stone. We read about that back in chapter 2. God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom, but the kingdoms of Babylon, Media, and Persia, Greece, and Rome would only last for a time and pass away forever. Daniel belonged to a kingdom, a great kingdom of heaven, that would never fail. We cannot miss the fact that he was already in his 80s at this point. And in his strength and integrity, he stood in contrast to Darius, a man who is roughly around the same generation, but in his 60s. For all his worldly wisdom, he was insecure in his exercise of authority. And that brings us to three. The testing itself that Daniel faced. Because he was so recognized for his wisdom in the government and excelled over the other administrators, how did they feel about that? Well, they weren't very happy. They were jealous. The only way to get at Daniel was to place him in a position where he had to choose between his obedience to God or obedience to the government. And so these jealous men conspired together and came up with the plan. Daniel had, had never bowed down to an idol or done anything like that. He prayed three times a day to the God who long ago had been worshipped in a city called Jerusalem. They, that had potential for them. They saw clearly that although Daniel was prepared to do anything for the king, he would not do something that was in conflict with his faith in the Lord. And with that in mind, they came up to King Darius with their wicked plot. They wanted a law that enforced everyone to pray and worship the king for 30 days. And if for 30 days anyone prayed to another god except for the king, they had to be thrown into the lion's den. Well, like any eastern monarch, this would have been very flattering, which is why the king approved it. A decree was made, and one of the characteristics of the laws of the Medes and the Persians is that once it was made, you couldn't revoke it. It had to be followed. So that put Daniel into a catch-22 situation between a rock and a hard place. The temptation to stop prayers would have been very great for him. This was only the first year of Darius's reign. It would have been very easy to go along with this law. After all, it was only 30 days. From a purely human point of view, such a sacrifice over a short period of time would have been small in comparison 
to losing his life. But he never stopped praying. How could he stop praying? The prophets had prophesied that after 70 years, Jerusalem would rise. Beside the Lord, besides that, the Lord had made clear to his servant that he was the only true God, the only one who was worthy of all praise. This was not a time to stop praying. This was a time to keep on praying. And so equipped with the armor of God and with his wisdom and courage, he stood firm in that evil day. Though the wiles of the devil and the kingdom of darkness breathed down hard, he knew that he had to keep on praying. And so we read that in verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And he went in his upper room, and with his window open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down three times that day and prayed. And that brings us to four. His preservation. We all know how the Lord heard the prayers of Daniel. He was arrested for breaking the law, much to the grief of Darius, as he had made a foolish law. It put his most trusted ruler into the den of lions. But God was merciful to hear. He was gracious to Daniel to show the world again that he is the true God. He is the God who hears prayers. And he hears our prayers as well. You know, today we live with the same kind of conflicts. There have always been powers that be which persecute and wear out the saints of the Most High. And certainly the powers of darkness are at work in our own day. But what are we to do as those who are tested? We're to continue faithfully serving the Lord and to remember that we belong to, an, to a kingdom that will never end. Well, it brings us to see what exactly happened. God was merciful. God was merciful to Daniel. Daniel sounds as calm and untroubled as if he had spent the night in his own bed. Note again verses 20 and 20, 21 and 22. It says, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. He actually spent a more comfortable night in the pits than Darius in his own luxury. We can almost imagine the prophet leaning back on a, on a furry, warm lion, talking to the angel of the Lord that, that was sent there to save him. This fearsome lodging was not a den of lions. It was a den of angels. 
which leads to the terrible end of the conspirators who were thrown into the den and all perished, even before they reached the floor. Now, why was Daniel spared and they were not? Well, it's because the heavenly tribunal had made the decision that truly counted. He was innocent before the Most High who holds the power of life and death, not any earthly ruler. In making this statement, Daniel was simply living up to his name, which is, my God is judge. That's what his name means. My God is judge. God judged him not guilty so that he emerged from the lion's den without a scratch. And this forced another king, another world power, to confess that truly the God of heaven is the Lord and not man. Notice that again in verses 26 and 27 in the the, uh, decrees. He says there, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. For he delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. And this definitely is a tangible testimony to the Lord's power, which was once again declared by a mighty, powerful empire. So what is this teaching us today? What are the implications for us now? Which brings us to our... Second point. One is to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord. That's what's so evident from this chapter, and it's very applicable to us today. You know, it's very easy to misapply this passage. It's very easy to miss the point. For example, uh, one commentator promotes Daniel as a model of passive resistance. And he goes on citing Mahatma Gandhi, you know, the Indian lawyer uh, who fought for the cause of, of India's independence years ago. That's how he would see it. He says, two issues seem of particular importance when reflecting on Daniel 6. One is the meaning of nonviolent resistance, and secondly, the violence of restrictions to injustice. Well, that's not what this is teaching us today. Another way to misapply this text is to say that we need more Daniels. We need more people with more convictions. We need boldness like him. And that's reflected in the familiar children's Sunday school song, Dare to be a Daniel, Dare to Stand Alone. Well, there's no denying that this is a biblical truth. And there is a need for us to be like that in our lives. But the problem is, Daniel wasn't saved by his performance. He wasn't saved for his boldness. He wasn't saved in that way. 
No, he was saved by the Lord. And the reason he was delivered from the lion's den was because God judged him and found him not guilty. Whereas the unbelievers, the conspirators who plotted against Daniel were found guilty and they were crushed under God's judgment. And that's a very clear foreshadowing for us of the final judgment. And it reminds us again why we need God's Son, Jesus Christ. God sent His Son, Jesus, to do what? To save His people from their sins. Matthew 1 verse 21. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. John 3 16. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, those who trust in me, even though they die, they will what? They will live. And when Jesus comes again, he will deliver us from the brokenness that we experience now in this world. Death will be no longer, Revelation 21 says nor mourning, nor crying, and pain will be no more, and God himself will dwell with his people. Your salvation doesn't depend on your performance. Your salvation doesn't depend, depend on your ability to dare to be a Daniel. But it depends completely and solidly upon Christ's perfect obedience in your place. And in the midst of a world where there are numerous trials and tribulation, tribulations, that is where your true peace and comfort are found. Your hope is not found in your performance or how good you are. It's found in what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. Oh, the second implication from this is to be vigilant in prayer. To be vigilant in prayer. Daniel's window was open to Jerusalem because this is what the Jews did after the dedication of the temple when Solomon built it. God's glory filled the temple. And even though that glory had departed after the fall of Jerusalem during the exile, Daniel knew that the Lord had promised to return there and to restore Jerusalem. So his open window facing Jerusalem was a simple and easy way of remembering the need to pray. It's never an easy thing to continue in prayer. It requires effort. It requires a constant reminding ourselves. It requires a heart that is filled with a deep longing after God. Daniel looked at Jerusalem with a deep longing, reminding him of God's promises. And it's those promises that got him up in the morning and gave him that assurance that what he was doing was God's purpose for him in life. And we also need to pray regularly, and in private. Jesus talked about the sin of praying like a hypocrite. You can pray to be heard and to be seen by others. You can look like someone who is a person of prayer, like the Pharisees did. 
But how much time do we spend in our own personal prayer? How do you know whether or not you're a hypocrite? Well, one way is to tell, one way to tell is if, you're, if you compare the amount of time that you spend in private prayer to the amount of time that you spend in public prayer. Some Christians pray 10 minutes Sunday morning or 10 minutes at a Bible study, but they'll only pray 10 seconds before a meal, and that's it. God doesn't time our prayers. It's not the length of our prayers that impress him, but certainly there's something wrong if the only time we pray is when someone else is watching. To be prayerless congregation is to be without Christ. It's to be without grace. It's to be without hope. It's to be without heaven. So prayer is therefore the most important part of our, our thankfulness as, as the Heidelberg Catechism teaches us. To live without it is to perish. So let us turn again to the Lord in heartfelt and sincere prayer. We need to be vigilant and firm in our faith. Well, there is a third implication, the last one, which is to remain faithful to God. Remain faithful to God. For God's people... For Israel at the time this was written, they were waiting for deliverance from captivity. This event encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord and to trust that their God was able to deliver them from their pit of exile. God was faithful to them. He said he would do this. And as you know your Bibles, he did. He did. He was faithful. And that's what we're encouraged to do as well. You know, we don't know what the days or months are going to lead us to, what's going to, what they have, what they hold for us. And it can sometimes feel overwhelming when we don't know what's going to happen. And it can cause great weariness when we dwell on this present world and the trying times that we're in. But one thing is sure, and that is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He is in control. And if you are in him, you are innocent before God. You're washed clean through his blood. So trust in him. Be in his word. Remain faithful to the Lord. He has our eternity figured out. And in that way, we're not much different than Daniel. We're strangers and pilgrims here. But consider the glories that await us. And you think of Hebrews 11, the by faith passage Hebrews 11 verses 33 and 34 say how the prophets by faith or who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions quenched the violence of fire escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness were made strong became valiant in battle turned to flight 
the enemy, the armies of the aliens. And then it goes on to say, all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. But God having, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So God is faithful. Let us, therefore, remain faithful to him. Amen.